Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. What is going on, everybody? We are live. As you know, I give you a moment to come into the room. I know that there's an opportunity for you guys to learn a lot with this one. I expect a lot of leadership in the room for this conversation. I'm going to launch this first question as we get started here. Let us know what you are in the question I just launched as you come in. Uh, that'll be up for a couple of minutes here. Change your chat settings down to everyone and let us know where you're tuning in from in the chat. Steven, is that your real background? Who are you asking? <laughs> it's That's not mine. This is, but it does look beautiful, right? I think my hand goes through it. Oh, him. All right. So that is. Oh, yeah. This is my actual home. Welcome. Anytime you want to get a game in, you let me know. Uh, I, I play. It's It's a lot of fun. Uh, so if you play, just let me know. That'd be great. If you're ever in the Tennessee area, let's kick things off here. As you guys come into the room, change your chat settings to everyone and let us know where you're tuning in from in the chat. Welcome back everybody to the Sell Better Daily Show, where we bring you daily sales advice to help you sell better. Let us know what your role is. That's the question that's up right now. This is how we tailor the conversation to who's in the room as we go live today. Uh, I am your host, James Say What Sales Buckley, host and content creator here at Sell Better by JB Sales. But I am joined by a very special lady in the room. Melanie is going to be one of those breakout CEOs that you see all over the news. She's been on the show before, uh, and we've had a lot of folks from Speckit. Welcome to the show, Mel. Thank you. So excited to be here. Uh, Mel, known you for how long now? Five, oh, six years? Like literally day one, basically. Day That's one, yeah. Uh, I, I, Reese, Reese is what I always remember. He was an intern for you. He's now an AE. We're going to talk about him and the things that he's doing with playbooks with Speckit as we move forward here. Before we kick it off though, if you're looking to level up in 2023, you know, we got you. Go ahead and scan the QR code on your screen to learn how you can get instant access to all of our training and our resources and our templates and our techniques and our takeaways and our tactics. You got this. We want you to become a member here at JB Sales. This is what we do. We help you get to that next level. Sell better because you deserve to. I want to give a big thanks to our partners today for making this episode possible. Big shout out to Outreach and Apollo. Our partner over there at Apollo is giving you the chance to test drive this powerhouse free resource, giving you instant access to 250 million contacts across plus 60 million companies. So you need this in your life. We're giving you the chance to put it in your workflow. We're dropping it in the chat right now. Go and get it. This is how you get started being an excellent seller. You need the right information. This is what you're going to get today from Melanie and us. Uh, so simple and proven tactics for your playbooks, right? Foundational things that need to exist in there. Essentials. These are things that have come to light recently that I think are changing the way we operate with playbooks. And then flexibility. How does it work when we have that static playbook that we're working with? How can we be flexible? Let's take a look at some of the results. Big shocker here, actually, for me, a lot of account executives in the room. What do you think, Mel? I love it. I mean, hey, that just shows that that they're interested in leveling up. And at the end of the day, Playbook is is a big way to do that. So uh, excited, excited that you're all here. Yeah. Big thanks to the frontline managers and the senior leadership in the room too. It looks like we see a lot of you guys coming in for this. I'm sure that you are actually the people that are looking at Playbooks that you can implement. So we appreciate you coming out to learn with us. Uh, I've got a few more questions I'll launch to you as we go through, but let's talk about what is a playbook? Let's first start with defining it before we get into ingredients. What is a playbook, Melanie? Love it. And there's a re the the ingredients is very intentional there. So we, we when we when we talked about this last time, like I think the word playbook right now, especially in the kind of broader sales sales enablement landscape, uh, 
is kind of a funny word because every company has their own definition, right? Yeah. So first, I'm going to just caveat by saying this is how I think about playbooks. This okay. is how um, we talk about playbooks with our customers as well. But I really think of a playbook as really a repeatable series of steps um, in a process that you can take to eventually reach a certain outcome. And the best analogy that I like to give is a recipe, right? So I will actually go back to COVID. So turns out being a CEO uh, is not the uh, fastest path to becoming a great chef. Uh, it turns out don't have a whole lot of time to to, to practice that skill. Um, but during COVID, obviously I did. And so I would start kind of cooking and putting a few spices. My food was all pretty bland. Uh, and often not that good. And so I ended up downloading this app and starting, it was like 30 minute recipes, something, something. And I downloaded this app and I started actually following the recipes. And I was like, holy shit, excuse my language, my food tastes so much better. And what I didn't realize was that one, I was like not following the right orders in which like I was supposed to put ingredients because my mom never followed recipes. I, should, I shouldn't eat to either. But turns out when you actually follow a recipe and you'll learn those like key sequences of things that you need to do, the 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 amount that you need to put in, you can ultimately get a much better tasting food. And so when I think about the key parts of a recipe, there's there's a couple things. One, it's ingredients, right? So what are the different um spices and 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 ingredients that you need to put into this food for it to taste good? And then there's the actual recipe where you're following a very specific set of steps and measurements to do that. Now over time, once you build once you do that recipe, you can kind of like start playing with it and make it your own and add your own flavors and, you know, put less salt or more salt or whatever, make it spicier, add some Cholula, but it takes time to get there. And so when I think about a playbook as a seller, it's really thinking about like a repeatable set of ingredients, right? So ingredients are going to be a combination of um, going back there to your call scripts, your templates, right? That you're reaching out to folks. It's the personas and knowing the messaging that you're going to use with them. It's different plays that you can use to either build pipeline or to negotiate, right? Or potentially to expand with an account. And so those are all the different ingredients. Ideally, like your leadership team is putting those together or as a rep, you're taking, I think Danny Silver put that in the chat, like owning your own success. You're building your own kind of like set of repeatable ingredients that you can use and combine. Right. And then there's the steps in the playbook, which is that next step, which is, okay, great. Then you need to do things in a specific order, right? Like initially when you join a new company, you're given a territory, you need to start doing that planning around like, okay, how do I actually prioritize these accounts? And how do I plan for each of these accounts? And who do I go after? Then you want to go out and actually start building your pipeline. Then you want to qualify. And then you want to build out, you know, each stage of the sales process. And so there is a natural sequence in which these steps need to happen. But again, the what I like about the word play in playbook is that like, I think you can kind of like make it your own and play with all these sure. different ingredients and these different steps to ultimately reach that outcome that you want. Yeah, and you know, people often think, and let me get a let me get a, a good feel for the audience here. Uh, one through three, if you're a one, you're kind of not a great cook. If you're a three, you're an awesome cook. If you're a two, you're kind of in the middle. Identify yourself. Can you cook? What's up, Lauren? I see you. Oh, I got all the 2.5s in here. Jake, what's up? I'm a three as well. I cook for my entire family. I'm responsible. If you can cook, and follow ingredients lists and get what you need and then put them together in the right steps, you can start building playbooks. We're going to get to that point and show you some examples here. Melody, uh, I want to encourage everybody to put questions in the Q&A that they have for Melody as we walk through this because there's so much value here. And I know you guys have a lot of questions about playbooks. We hear it a lot. Uh, everyone believes that they need a customized playbook. 
And most providers of playbooks that I know are simply taking, you know, versions of foundational playbooks that they've built over time and morphing them and calling them custom. What's your stance on custom versus I built my own versus static playbook? Should people be outsourcing this? What are your thoughts on this? And I want to ask the audience this question while you talk about it, uh, while you go. So, so go ahead. What do you think? What's the, what's the magic sauce here? So I think one, there's, it depends, which is a really annoying answer, but I think it depends on a few things. One, just the maturity and size of your company. Like if you're a newer size startup, you're just trying to figure out like the basics of going to market, starting to sell, et cetera. Like I firmly believe that reinventing the wheel is not in your best interest, right? Like there are a million different resources out there around like qualification. Like maybe you should just follow Bant or whatever, right? sales methodology. Maybe you should just follow medic. And then like, obviously under the metrics questions, like make those questions your own, but rein reinventing the wheel with a new framework and reinventing cold call scripts and reinventing templates is probably not where you should be spending your time, both as a rep or um, as a management team. There's a ton of templates. There's a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of true tried approaches that you can leverage and then make your own. Now, when it comes to um, custom playbooks, there is a time where like as you start getting much more, oh, hey, Matt, um, as you start getting um, a lot more sophisticated, right? As you start expanding to international markets, as you expand your number of, you know, different ICPs that you can serve and personas and your products and services, it might make sense, depending on your resources, to then hire someone like Jake Dunlap and the team at Scale to come in and like help you actually like customize this. But even then, like we we know them well too. I know that uh, John and and team now know Jake and the team at Scale well too. Like they're not reinventing the wheel with every single one of their customers, right? They're building a customized playbook around your business, but it's following a specific kind of um, framework or, or or template. So um, I'm just big in general and not reinventing the wheel. Use your creative energy. Use your skill set to build pipeline and to like really tailor your messaging to the customer, not, um, not in reinventing the wheel internally. You know, I'm, I'm curious since we're talking about the, uh, invention of playbooks versus the outsourcing of playbooks, let me know a number in the chat in your sales career. How many playbooks have you cycled through? Is it, have you been through four different playbooks? Cause you've had four different jobs, different companies you've worked with. How many playbooks would you think have cycled through your tenure as a sales professional? Five plus years or five plus playbooks, Matt says. That's actually not too bad. Just one for Nate, three for Matt Covington. Uh, you know, look, one, a lot of people have low numbers here. I'm surprised about that number. Go ahead, Mel. Another question, like how many of you, especially for the AEs on the table or, or sales managers too, like how many of you have your own kind of like Rolodex of templates and call scripts and like those ingredients and potentially even steps that you bring from team to team um, versus relying on your company to kind of like create those for you. Like, have you kind of like started building your own little Google Drive of of having that? It looks like about 66% of the folks that voted want to wow. call their own playbooks, but they never have. And I think that's interesting, especially when you look at the number of playbooks that have been through the folks sales cycles, their, their tenures in the room. Uh, so a lot of you folks with lower numbers, don't wait for a new playbook to come your way, right? Go, go build your own playbook. And we're going to talk about some of the ways you can do that here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some blockers since so many people are looking to build their own playbooks. What blockers might they encounter 
as they begin to start thinking about playbooks? Um, I think a few things. Um, depending on the company maturity, right, and where you're at on your path to product market fit, and if those of you that work for startups, you're probably constantly on that journey. So are we in terms of figuring out like who are the best buyers and like what are the best ways to get to them? And then you've got this kind of environment that completely changes like your messaging, your positioning and the conversations you need to have, right? Um, expecting like your, so one, I think a common mistake is expecting a playbook to like be this like repeatable process that doesn't change. Like change is going to be constant in whatever industry at the pace at which the world is moving uh, in you're working in and your company, if they're staying ahead, are constantly launching new products and services, which is also going to change the way that you bring your your entire product suite to market and how you speak to different levels and your buyer's organization. And so your playbook one should always be evolving to a certain degree. That said, there are certain steps that will remain. Like you're still going to need to qualify. Now, the questions that you asked to qualify might evolve as your product offering uh, evolves too. So I think like one common blocker can be the fact that like, okay, I don't want to take the time to document all of this and to like build this all into a process because it's going to change. Now, at the end of the day, like just accept the fact that things are going to change, but you're going to be much better off having a repeatable process and having a repeatable playbook than not having one at all, right? Yeah. Expect BDR or Brain UAE to join a company and like, oh, just trial by fire, throw them in the fire, like have them figure it out on their own. Like it's exhausting. You're adding all this additional like confidence comes with having a process, right? I feel a lot more confident going and cooking, knowing that I have a recipe that I can follow than giving me a list of ingredients or giving me like, hey, go bake a cake and like having to figure it out on my own. So like ultimately, I think the blockers is just like, it takes work. It does. It takes time. And writing documentation or writing these things down is not necessarily the funnest uh, part, but nor is, you know, the process of working out, but the outcomes that you get are really, really great. So I think, you know, it's it's a habit that you need to develop in terms of maturing the way that you go to market, the way that you sell, the way, and I'm talking to both those of you that are AEs that want to like, you know, bring a little bit of maturity in terms of how you sell, as well as for the managers and the leadership on this team that have kind of been putting off codifying some of this. Yeah. You know, when you talk about those outcomes and those outcomes have a lot to do with the types of playbooks that you're running. How many types of playbooks are there, Melanie? So there's a million different plays. We've been really focused, as many of you can probably relate, um, on two things. One, pipeline build, right? What are different ways that we can get creative around how we go about building uh, pipeline? And so we'll share a few plays. And then we've also actually been focused on the CS side uh, because obviously, um, you know, it is easier in this environment, at least we found, to sell to your existing customers because you're already kind of through the uh, whole executive buy-in, you're already in their tech stack uh, and not having to navigate the whole tech consolidation co uh, conversation. So um, selling into our customers is really important. Um, and you know, this is also a time where everyone is so busy that engaging your customers can be difficult. And so we've been working with our CS team to develop plays on like, how do you re-engage someone that's ghosted you, right? How do you help them make the, your product a habit? And so we've been developing a number of plays, both on the sales and CS side, to ultimately get us to um, our revenue outcomes that we're, we're looking to drive. We got a good look at some of that stuff here too. I couldn't resist showing this screenshot of this playbook that you've got organized in here. Talk to me about how this works and the way people think about playbooks and that organization piece. Yeah, um, so, and I'm gonna show a couple more specific examples afterwards. And by the way, I I like being as tactical and real as possible. So these are actually examples of our own internal ones. These are not like fancy demo ones that we kind of put put up. So I'll I'll, I'll talk to two two specifically. 
Um, but what you're seeing here is outreach, their new UI. Uh, and then you're seeing Speckit, which is layered on top. So layer uh, Speckit is a Chrome extension that can be accessed from whatever application you're in. And so we have a number of different kind of playbooks. So we have a BDR prospecting playbook. Uh, and in that, we actually have different steps that they can follow. So each one of those, like that list is a set of content, right? And so you can see there, like we've got a template for call scripts that you can follow. And then we have a template for BANT questions that you can ask if you're on on um, doing discovery. So we have like different kind of like steps uh, and, and ingredients here that you can follow as a BDR to build pipeline. And this is what we expect our BDRs to actually do. We got a couple of good plays that you've provided for us, and I'm excited for you to break these down, especially this uh, this one that I'm about to bring up here. Uh, this is great. I used to call these Lazarus leads. You refer to these as raise the dead leads, and you have a play that's designed to come back to these folks that essentially turned you away at first. Talk to me about this play that every playbook should have in it right now. So uh, to be abundantly clear, I'm going to take zero responsibility for this because I did not come up with this. This is our fabulous head of revenue operations, Laura. Um, but yeah, so this is like an example of a play in our pipeline plays playbook. So we we basically have a topic of like, here are all these different plays. Bant, uh, sorry, Robert Hicks. Bant is a BDR qualification where you ask for a job authority need in timeline. You're ahead of me, James. Um, okay, so going back to different place. So we've been working with our team to identify like what are different paths to building um, pipeline right now. So one of them is this res raise the dead play. Um, and it's all about basically deals where we close lost, right? And we did a ton of analysis and like 80%, 78% of our opportunities were lost in the last two quarters due to timeline and priority, uh, budget, budget and priority, excuse me, right? Like Either A, we didn't do a, a good enough job, uh, not trying to discredit our sales team and making ourselves a top priority for them or two, just budgets got slashed. Like, I don't know if you're an A on this call and you can relate to this or anyone that's a sales manager, but like we have had deals at the 11th hour done and it is exhausting and it's demoralizing and it's so hard because you put your blood, sweat and tears into this and um. Anyway, this play has been really effective. We had a customer that we used this play on that literally we lost at the end of Q3, which for us uh, is the end of October. And they came back in March and it was a three-day close, 40K deal, which is a great uh, little error there in three days because we reached back out. They were like, this is actually a good timing, but it's just opened up and let's do that. So anyway, um, making sure that you're going back and following up on lost deals is really something that we focus on with our team. So could, do you mind pulling that up, back up, James? I'm just going to- Oh explain. yeah, sure. Sorry. No worries. Um, so the structure of this play, and we like to, to, and this is something that I think is important for any of you that are sales managers on this call, like remove as much kind of nuance as possible in the sense like the, make make your plays as repeatable as possible so you're going to see that every single one of our plays has the same structure one it's what is this play for right hey raise it in involves going after your past opportunities blah blah right next how do you find who these opportunities are so we have at the top we show them like here's where you need to go get these deals we have a report that we point them to that has those deals already identified which saves them time. If you're an AE on this call, if you don't have a report where you can see your last opportunities and lost opportunities in the last uh, three quarters and not following up on them, I heavily recommend that you go do that in Salesforce. If you don't know how to, let me know. I can help you figure out how to do that. Um, but anyway, so they have a report with all lost opportunities in your name from the last uh, few quarters. 
Then we explain to them like, hey, here's what you should specifically be looking at from a context standpoint. Is it still the same roles, right? Like, why did we lose? What were their priorities at the time? So here's the context that you should pay particular attention to. And then finally, great. Now that you've got a good understanding of like this opportunity, why you lost it, what you should be looking for, now go re-engage and here's what we recommend, right? Make sure that they haven't moved to another company. And then we recommend a sequence to them. We use outreach which is, hey, here's a sequence that we've kind of built going back to the ingredients with a series of emails that is designed to re-engage someone that previously lost. And so our whole goal is to like remove as much of like the, not the the basic thinking, which is what sequence do I use and like what report do I use so that our reps can really focus on the meat of it, which is like, okay, how do, what is my opening line to really re-engage this prospect? So that's an example of a play, super simple that they can pull up kind of in their uh, in their flow work to to follow. It's a great play. And if you have a Lazarus or a dead lead play book, this play should be in it. So grab that. I hope you got that. If not, you'll definitely get this recording. Before we get into another play, I want to know, put a one in the chat if you remember missed connections on Craigslist. Put a one in the chat if you're familiar with the missed connections place on Craigslist. I, I, I think most of us probably do know about missed connections. I actually don't know. What you is You don't know it? about this? So no. missed connections was a place on Craigslist where they would go and like type in like I you were standing behind me at the Dollar General and <laughs> I wanted to turn around and say hello to you and I, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. It was like it's like uh you know like uh, they used to do this in the newspapers too back in the day. It was it was like a dating thing, like a find me thing. <laughs> like it's Wait, the, that's amazing. So much good stuff. Uh yeah, yeah. So so this is why when you said we have a, a missed connections play. I was like, oh, this is great. And then there's even the Craigslist reference here, missed connections. Talk to me about this play. <laughs> so this one is uh, similar to the last one. Uh, and one, you'll see that there's a very similar structure, but this one is actually earlier in the funnel. So the raise the dead is like a deal that made it pretty far, right? It was qualified. We made progress on it. It died. We lost it. This one was someone agreed to a meeting, right? Maybe we... Um, so misconnection is like, we, we had a meeting set. So maybe this was from a conference, someone booked a demo at the conference or our BDR did a great job, got them on a call, got them on a meeting. Um, but then they never showed up. Right. So we, we have a stage where like, instead of going to qualified, it then becomes canceled. This was a lead. This didn't go anywhere. Um, and so this particular play is for our BDRs or AEs, but really BDRs to re-engage people that said like, Hey, we're interested. They committed to a meeting, but ultimately no showed, um, or other similar type misconnections, right? Maybe they did the first meeting, it wasn't fully qualified, wasn't ready to move to the next stage, and then they ghosted us. Um, so this is a very similar play in that structure where you should point them to, hey, here are, all the here are all the opportunities and contacts that fall under this category, right? Check the context here specifically, we should be looking for here. What you're seeing is that the guidance that we're providing here is different than the last one. This one is about like, hey, what was the account score? Like, is this still relevant for you to spend your time on or not? Right. Um, and then we tell them like, hey, here's the context you should be looking for. Right. The last one we gave more guidance on like what were their reasons for wanting to buy? Right. And what 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 were the key priorities we'd identified? In this case, it's more like, hey, like what did they what context did you get? And then, hey, here's the, your neighbor engagement plan. And here we actually tell them to go first to sales navigator to make sure that like, hey, this person said they were going to take a meeting or maybe you had an initial meeting and didn't go anywhere. Are they still the right contact? If not, here's what you should look for, et cetera, et cetera. And then yeah. sequence it's too. 
So I, I like that this a lot of this hinges on the known context of all of the history behind this, right? Some so many sales reps end up just pumping people into a dialer or into a sequence and they don't take the time to go get that context and they come back and it kind of feels like disconnected, right? That prospect most likely without that context feels like, huh, oh, this company doesn't even read like all of the notes that this, did they not take any notes? We've all had to start over in a process before. And the, uh, the reason we built these, I, I want to mention this because I think it's important. Um, so back in November, I ended up taking over our sales team for a short period of time before I hired Christine Brady, our new head of sales, who's absolutely wonderful. Um, and, you know, in trying to identify like who's the right kind of sales leader for for us in this next stage of the company, I um, I wanted to really understand like what our challenges were. And what I realized is that like our AEs were the ones that were really struggling to build pipeline. And so I actually was like, okay, in each of my one-on-ones that week, show me how, when you log in to Salesforce first thing in the morning, show me how you identify how what what deals you're gonna go build pipeline from. So I had each of our AEs share their screen to me and demonstrate to me what their workflow was. And many of them didn't know where to go. It wasn't that they didn't have accounts in their name. It's not that they didn't have sequences built out in outreach, but it was connecting those dots. It was like, no okay, idea. This morning, you're going to focus on X, right? Okay, focus on raise the dead, focus on this. And so basically what we ended up doing is like, one, let's make sure that we have those reports that they can go to that are very easy for them to access. Let's make sure that they have very specific plays they can use and so that we give them those ingredients so that like, hey, today I, I'm sick and tired of going after my top 50 counts today. I'm going to do a different play. I'm going to go after raise the dead. And so it gives a little bit of variety in their day, but it also gives them some like a bit more guidance to follow versus just, okay, I'm logging in. I need to build pipeline. Where do I start? Where do I go? And yeah. also work with them on, on helping them build kind of their own list views and stuff. So anyway, if you're listening to this, just something to, to think about too. And if you're feeling in that rut as an AE where it's like, I know what I'm supposed to do. Like I'm supposed to be prospecting. I'm supposed to be building pipeline. I've got my, my top accounts, but it's hard for me to find that motivation or that inspiration. Like bring that up to your sales leader in terms of like, hey, like can we, can we identify some plays? And then we ran spiffs around them which is a really great way to get people excited. It's like, okay, this week, everyone's running this play, right? Or you can do an industry play. Okay, this week, everyone's doing this play. Let's see. And and it just creates a bit more excitement and engagement in a time right now where like, let's just all admit it, prospecting and pipeline is just tough, right? Um, so Yeah, I, I like the idea of this uh, guided shift in the monotony. Let's be honest, it's a lot of the same repetitive conversations, openers, conver you know, quick discovery. There's a lot of like repetition involved in what you do as an SDR or an AE or even in customer success. I've often said that sales is the same conversation over and over until you perfect it, right? Uh, but one of the things that you said that kind of is exciting is like, we have to get excited about the change. It's difficult because people get intimidated by the word playbook. Why do you say this? Um, I think so. One, I'll, I'll speak to this quote that, that you all wrote down here. Um, so one, I do think at the end of the day, like when you hire effective leadership, it's their responsibility for coming up with like the repeatable process or playbook that you want your teams to follow. Like that is the most important role outside of coaching that a leader should do when they're coming into your org is identifying like what works, what doesn't, and how can we extract that and build a process around it. Yeah. And ideally then build a playbook. That said, like, I think everyone should influence and own the process to a certain degree. Like if you're a rep and something's working, share it, right? Like raise right. that, help the help your team. Like this is a team effort. Like everyone wins if, if, if you're winning, right? And so 
Um, I think everyone can help co-create that process, but ultimately, like if there is no process or no playbook, that falls on leadership. And I think especially in this environment, it's it's a shame. Um, in terms of the blockers, it's what I mentioned earlier. It's right, it's the amount of just it takes time. But like you saw earlier, those two plays, we don't like reinvent the wheel every time. We just clone and then change the report link and change the couple of fields you're looking at. Like once you build a few of those cure ingredients, you can like rinse and repeat and make it really easy to go after new things. It's like building it from scratch that takes time. And by the way, there's a million templates online. If you don't have any, reach out to me. I can give you some of ours. Um, but I think it's just like the, it's that. And then it's, you know, it's one thing to build resources, to build playbook content. It's another to make sure that your reps are following it, right? And that's where, and I'm going to not try and plug what we do and why it's important. But at the end of the day, like if your playbook is living in a 180 page Google Doc and you're like, why aren't our reps using it? Like, why aren't they going and accessing it? It's because no rep in the history of ever wants to go find page 76 of your Google Doc on Monday morning and try and like follow those those steps, right? And so I think But it's, wait, Rose says in the in the comments here, he says, but wait, we made this to help you. Okay. Exactly. Oh, and you made it and it's in like a 200 slide PowerPoint or a 200 page Google Doc. And like, sorry, I don't know when it's updated. I don't know what's changed, like commenting on like there's just a lot of challenges with like the the approach to playbooks too. And so that's why I think it's important to make them really consumable, bite-sized when you can, and ultimately make sure that you're reinforcing their use so that you're getting the follow-through. And in our case, our managers actually look at the analytics too to understand like what plays are people actually doing. Right. And so like if you can actually see like what plays are being used, you can then figure out like, oh, looks like we're seeing a lot of pipeline created because our reps are all doing this play, right? And we can actually track the analytics, but I think that's important too, because a lot of time you create all these sequences and resources and templates and all this crap that no one follows, and then you're just frustrated. Salespeople have to get excited about those playbooks, but you said sometimes sellers will feel locked into a process that they didn't create or that they don't have any data to support works, and they feel suffocated by this aspect. Uh, how do we keep them flexible? Is there like an if this, then that? mentality and the way that we draw out these playbooks i mean i think it's just like anything right like if you're we we have a demo script we have a demo flow we have a call script but if every one of our reps followed those like i'd question whether they're reps or whether they're robots right at the end of the right. day we don't expect someone to say word for word every single thing ideally you've got that elevator pitch down but these are meant to be tools right yeah. they're meant to be tools and that's why i like thinking of them as ingredients like if you like your food a little spicier, add a little bit more spice, right? Um, if you don't, maybe add a little bit less. Like, I think the best reps figure out like, okay, how do I figure out what works and what is a repeatable process? If you're new to a company, probably not a good idea to start from scratch. Here's sure. the process that you should follow, but then make it your own and take some of those plays that you might have learned from other industries around like how to go, what are different ways that you can get a CFO's attention in this environment? And here are different ways that you can like go about talking to them. Like, it's a combination of like, how do you take something that works and build that, like take inspiration from those repeatable steps, but then also kind of make them your own in that flow you have um, as a rep. So let's give them the tools. Since everybody came here to learn about how to start building a playbook, this is some ways that you suggest people can get started. First of all, let me, hands down, I am the outline fan. Chris Merrill, our CRO, was like, this is how we share ideas. We do it with outlines. And ever since he said that to me, Everything I do in my life gets an outline. Talk to me about these starting processes for building out a playbook. Yeah, I drive my team crazy with it too. Um, just because I think like the the high level outline, 
I, I think about information. Sorry, just going to go on that outline piece. Like there's a certain flow and structure that information needs to be in. And I think that half the time communication breaks down because not because of the content, but because of the way it's organized. So I think outlines can help a lot with that. Um, so anyway, yeah, if you're going to create a, okay, first off, like we said, playbook can mean a million different things. I would really, if you're starting from scratch, I'd really focus in on like, what is your biggest problem right now, right? Like, is it pipeline generation? Is it pipeline conversion? Is it a stage in your sales process, right? Like, hey, we're getting all these meetings and they're dying in stage three, right? Okay, let's figure out how we do that. So one, if you're starting from scratch, target a specific area of the entire playbook that you would start with. Um, but you can still create that outline at a high level of like, what are the different components of our playbook that we eventually want to fill out? And then focus on the areas, those low-hanging fruit that are likely to have the highest impact for your team. Um, and then make an outline of that specific section. Like, what are the things that we know to be true when things go really well here, right? Um, so what tends to be true about um, a pipeline? Get those pieces in. And then I kind of jokingly mentioned plugins to GPT, um, but I've been playing around a little bit with it. And like, this is a good example of something like, I think ChatGPT um, and generative AI is going to be helpful in some cases and not helpful in others, right? Companies that are trying to use ChatGPT to like document their own internal processes around CPQ and quoting, you're kind of, you know, SOL. But if you're using ChatGPT to like help build these misconnections uh, plays and things like that, like there is, there's a lot of information on the internet that you can leverage to, to help do that. So I would use that to get you started because again, half the block is just the time it takes to create um, content. And I can't remember what were the other two recommendations. Uh, so you said spend time on ICP. I thought this was a really interesting point oh, yeah. because everybody's ICP is kind of shifting in a way right now. I think I've seen a lot of people saying we've just rebranded, we've just redesigned, we've just retargeted. I'm hearing this a lot in my calls with leadership. Why is spending time on your ICP on a regular basis, not just once, a common thing that people should be doing when they think about building new playbooks? Sonny, this actually came up this this week for us. Um, the way I think about it is like your company strategy is like your three to five year roadmap on like where are you going as a company, what markets you want to take over, et cetera. Your ICP focus is your short term go to market focus designed to optimize near term results. Um, and your ICP might evolve, likely will evolve as you launch new products and you launch new markets and you learn more about your buyer and new competitive solutions come out. But your ICP is designed to help your team really focus in. And just to illustrate, last year, ICP is ideal customer profile, right? So your ideal customer profile for us, it's companies that are navigating a lot of change that have a lot of employees. And, you know, so you can kind of come up with like, what is your ideal customer profile for us? It's customers that use Salesforce or HubSpot as a CRM, for example. Um, but as much kind of high level criteria that helps narrow down your team on who to go after so that when you're getting leads inbound, your team knows how to easily disqualify them or qualify them. Um, and so that when a BDR is going out to prospect, they're not going after customers that you know are probably not going to be your best buyers or your best users of the product. Yeah. Um, and I think the ICP piece right now is really important because we learned like last year, one of the reasons that I think we didn't perform as well as we could have as a company is because we got distracted. We started kind of selling to everyone and everybody that would buy because in 2021 and early 2022, everybody and anybody was buying, right? And we can solve for a number of different things when it comes to your knowledge and onboarding and ramp. And so like, there are general problems that your product might solve for. And the risk with that is that you end up getting a ton of people that are kind of semi-interested, 
but then comparing you to other solutions that you're not as good of a com- you know competitive solution to. So we did a big refocus in Q4 around like who are our best fit customers? What is true about them? What is the size of their company? Yeah. Right? Who are the people that we typically buy to? What do they care about? Is that still true in this environment? Uh, and we just went way more narrow, which is painful because at first you see less pipeline, yeah. but then you start seeing higher and higher quality pipeline. And so right now we don't have the volume of pipeline as we had last year, but our close rate is a lot higher, right? And the great thing with that as a rep is that you're actually having to do less work to generate the same amount of revenue. And that's really what we're focused on is like, let's narrow down who we're selling to so that our ability to close and the size of the check actually gets higher. Um, this is a this is a common goal that I think many people are after right now is this reduction in pipeline, but this higher conversion rate to paid customers, which brings me to another point that you brought up, and it kind of it's kind of positioned as a juxtaposition to the last comment you made around like you know we narrow the scope, we find those exact people that we sell to. I'm going to flip that quarter over, and I'm going to say. New verticals are sometimes a great way to build new playbooks to go after a new ICP, and this is new revenue. Talk to me about how Speckett managed to accomplish this after all the chaos of feeling like you were everywhere. Yeah, I mean, one, change is scary. And actually, I'm doing a whole webinar on the psychology of change, right? Because similar to grief, there's kind of a curve that you follow where immediately like you resist. And then yeah. you're shocked and you're angry and then you kind of start accepting it. And then as you start seeing the results, um, things get a lot better. And I think that it's natural, especially in this environment where a lot of companies have kind of been like trying to diagnose what's working, what's not, why are we not seeing this? It was working before. Why are, why is it working anymore? Um, you know, and as companies are trying to diagnose, um, there's also been a lot of change pushed and that's hard as an account executive that's hard as a sales manager right um to navigate the psychology of the people and it can feel really demoralizing um and and lead to burnout and so you know one that's kind of the context that i think is important to like just recognize with everything we're doing here and that's why it's important to like be intentional about the process by which you identify that icp and our problem for us right that we diagnosed was that our problem was too many ICPs. We were trying to be everything to everyone and that was creating confusion. And we were then trying to compete against too many different categories of software, which meant that like our messaging was getting diluted. And so there we had like this identity crisis of like people comparing us to like, you, oh, you guys are an LMS. It's like, well, no, we're not an LMS. Oh, you guys, oh, you guys are a CMS. It's like, no, 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 we're not a CMS, right? And so you start creating confusion and your reps and your close rates are going down. And, and that was our problem. So we got really narrow in on our ICP. And then to your point, we did do some vertical plays. So vertical were like what we consider industry plays. So for example, we saw that financial services or regulated industries are the ones that care the most about documentation because they literally have to. It's not an option to. If you're on this call and you're not at a regulated industry, you might get by with not having a playbook and not having a process. And if people miss, it's like, well, there's a million reasons why you could have missed. If you're in a regulated industry, and your person makes a mistake. And I used to to be, I um, my Series 7 and 63, I was a regulated financial, whatever, advisor, um, an advisor, seller, whatever. Point being, if I make a mistake or someone on my team makes a mistake and I and my manager or I, and when I managed to him, couldn't point back to like, no, look, I have this process. Right. You can get in some serious legal problem and like you can get fired because it's there's compliance things. And so we realized that like, okay, right now our best fit customers our best fit customers are the ones that we're not having to like 
teach them on like why documentation and why enablement is important. Instead, it's like, okay, they don't have an option but to have documentation, but they're probably doing it in a way that's ineffective. Let's help them make it more effective, right? And so again, it's simple, but it's just getting a little bit more narrow in on like who are those best fit customers and the, the highest likely to buy your software and to be successful with it. That's amazing. It sounds a lot like a low-hanging fruit playbook and a educational playbook, maybe. Just going to go ahead and throw those two things out there. Uh, we got a couple of good questions here. I'm going to start asking her some questions that you guys are submitting, so throw yours in the Q&A. Uh, how long of a playbook is too long, Melanie? Currently, he has 20 pages full of content and external links as well. Is this a good practice? I think it depends on the purpose, right? I'm very biased here. Um, because, okay. But it's because I... I, every click that you make your people go do and every scroll um, is context switching and a distraction that you're taking them away from ultimately the activity. So I think um, a ton of external links pointing them in a ton of different directions um, might lead them to getting lost and distracted, um, which we've all been there before. And so I think that that's just a little bit of the downside. That said, I think like having like a having a first page that kind of like points that if you, if you don't have any sort of software and you're you're really starting from a google doc one good on you for having a centralized place don't have your stuff in 25 million places because that's just what makes it really hard for you to maintain real hard to go access so of all choices i'd recommend one place versus having it in a bunch of different places yeah. two i think 20 pages is good assuming that you're linking to like then that sequence and outreach for example or your cadence and sales loft, whatever it is. Um, but I wouldn't have like a 180 page playbook. Like we have a lot of customers who have given us or is theirs to convert um, and expect people to follow it. So I think 20 up to maybe 50, um, but anything over that, like just expecting people to adopt it is going to be really, really tough. Yeah. Um, and a question from Adam Ruddick, our friends over at TrackTick. I'll see you soon. Uh, shout out to you, man. We appreciate that question. This one comes from Andrew. How do you best measure slash display the success that a playbook is helping to drive? What are you measuring? That's a good point. Um, so good I question. think the outcomes are super important. And that's why I think like when it comes to rolling out plays like that, raise the dead or the misconnections. Um, and I don't love using a, sp a spiff every time because, yeah. you know, I think there should be intrinsic mo motivation to a certain degree to to get the pipeline itself. But running contests like, hey, this week we just rolled out this new play. This week everyone's trying this play, and let's see who hits the most the most meetings. You know, if you have a meetings book channel or BDR channel, or even like if depending on the size of your organization, create a channel for that. That can be a good way of like building that momentum because ultimately reinforcement drives behavior, right? And so you want to be able to show that like, hey look, this person over here tried this play and saw, saw a result because that's going to encourage everyone else to try it as well. Yeah. And so you want to make sure that the, the wins, the successes are on display. Um, if you have a, have a savvy Salesforce team, you can even build these in as campaigns and have a dashboard that shows like people that are are actually, um, yeah, I was a Salesforce admin, which is why I'm uh, well, I, I know, know that. I was that. Um, so you know, you can you can build a dashboard that that shows that too. Um, and then depending if you're using a a software or some type, like you can also get the analytics in the back end that show you like what people are doing, and then correlate that to um, pipeline. So there's a few different ways, but I do think that is really important 
going back to James, what you said earlier, which is like, okay, now I'm feeling forced to do this. Why does it matter, et cetera? You want to be able to to show like, so we're actually, um, anecdote on that, going back to Reese, we're working on a kind of like um, competitive play um, and a takeout play. And it was actually inspired because one of our BDRs, Reese, who now is an AE, did this play on his own like three years ago, brought in some of our best customers like Invesco and others from this play. And so we said, okay, let's go like codify this and have all of our other BDRs do it. But he's the one that's actually introducing it. He helps build it and he's actually rolling it out to all of our BDRs and A's. So that's another great way to like help drive that adoption. Be like, look, here are the deals that we've won this way before. I'm helping drive this and here's what you guys should do to follow it. And it's not just sales management and enablement pushing it. And we actually specifically, you know, had him help help drive that. So amazing stuff. I want to thank you for coming in and sharing your wisdom. We are going to drop Melanie's LinkedIn in the chat. You want to go and connect with Melanie, learn more about all of the people that we've talked about today, Outreach, Apollo, Speckit. It's all out there for you to be a better seller. Connect with us on social, sellbetter.xyz to learn more about becoming a member with us. Melanie, thank you for coming to the show today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I was just posting in the, in the chat. I can't multitask, but yeah, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Happy to answer any questions. Uh, this is a newer topic. So um, yeah, happy to brainstorm with all of you. Thanks for coming out, everybody. We always appreciate your time. You're the best audience in the world and we will see you next time. Have a great weekend, everybody. Yeah. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>